0: SpyOptic.com is giving away a $500 gift certificate to one person who uses our promo code podcast in the month of December. Use the promo code and you'll be entered to win. We already gave $500 to Connor Levoff in November. Spy appreciates the support our listeners have shown since we started this partnership and they just wanted to offer a Christmas gift, so buy yourself some shades or goggles and then be entered to win. The promo code also gives you free shipping a free Surf Splendor sunglass baggie, and they'll even give you a free t-shirt. Just pick the one you want, add it to your cart, and the promo code will zero out the cost on checkout. spyoptic.com, promo code podcast. Thanks. The Outer Banks are barrier islands off the coast of the US state of North Carolina separating the Atlantic Ocean from the mainland. They are a 200 mile long narrow stretch of barrier islands, essentially a sandbar that is constantly changing with storms and general tides that shift the sand. New inlets are formed with the effects of tropical storms and hurricanes. The original formation of the islands is still not fully understood. The outer banks don't have bedrock and they aren't anchored to any offshore coral reefs like some of the other barrier islands. So they suffer significant beach erosion during major storms. They're about a mile off the coast at some points from the actual North Carolina coast, just sitting in the Atlantic ocean, a real hurricane prone area. So they're subject to really just getting battered by storms. Hatteras Island was cut in half on September 18, 2003, when Hurricane Isabel washed a 2,000-foot wide, 15-foot deep channel through the community of Hatteras Village. The tear was subsequently repaired and restored by sand dredging, but then cut off again in 2011 by Hurricane Irene. Archaeologists believe that the Outer Banks were inhabited for well over a thousand years before the arrival of the Europeans with small branches of larger Indian tribes, such as the Algonquins and the Choanogs, European explorers to the Outer Banks as far back as the 1500s noted encountering the friendly Outer Banks natives, noted their hospitality to foreign explorers, as well as their happiness and overall quality of life, something that I experienced is still present in modern day locals. European-born diseases and then migration to the mainland were the main causes for the decline of the native population Before bridges were built in the 1930s the only form of transport between or off the islands was by boat which allowed for the islands to stay relatively isolated from much the rest of the mainland. The drastically shifting sandbars have made for very treacherous navigating for ships. There have been a lot of books written about the shipwrecks and my host for my time on the Outer Banks told me about ships running aground during the frigid winter storms. They were close enough for people on land to see the carnage, but still too far from land for the crew to actually get to safety And then the storm was just too severe for people on land to run a rescue mission. So some of the crews would attempt to swim the short distance in the cold waters and get swept out to sea. Others hung onto the sails as the boat took on water, just waving their arms, begging to be rescued. The people on land would watch in horror, close enough to witness but unable to help. Really an interesting long history with with shipwrecks. Some of the residents in the past have even made their living by scavenging shipwrecks. Or there's also stories of locals who would lure ships into destruction. They would run horses with lanterns tied around their neck back and forth along the beach. The lanterns, making an up and down motion, appearing to be a ship in the night and represent clear water to other ships ahead. So the unsuspecting captain would then drive his ship ashore following this false light. The islands are actually home to herds of feral horses, sometimes called banker ponies, which, according to local legend, are descendant from Spanish mustangs washed ashore centuries ago in shipwrecks. The Wright brothers' first flight in a controlled, powered, heavier-than-air vehicle took place on the Outer Banks on December 17, 1903 at Kill Devil Hills near the seafront town of Kitty Hawk, which is where today's podcast was recorded. It's almost impossible to overstate the amount of tourism that the Outer Banks sees during the summer months. I've only been here in autumn and early winter when it's idyllic. So as spectacular as it is, summertime is completely overrun and wintertime can be really harsh. So spring is lovely and then of course autumn sees the best surf. Outer Banks surfboard shaper Mike Rowe is the subject of today's show. Mike became a friend a couple of years back and this conversation has been a long time coming and there are many more podcast conversations to be had on the Outer Banks. Mike is just one board builder there. There are many more. Many have been there longer. Some I've met some I've heard legendary stories about. I'll definitely be back to connect with those people. Time and circumstance conspired against those efforts on this trip, but Mike is a perfect introduction to the region for reasons that will be immediately obvious. He also has kindly offered to donate a surfboard for us to host another board giveaway. His label is Hooked Surfboards, and he will build you a custom board below 7 feet. We do these giveaways as a thank you for listeners who donate to the show. The network is listener-supported with an assist from brands like Neat Essentials, Spy, Vistla, and RideList app. So anyone who makes a donation through surfsplenderpodcastcom slash donate, it's just a PayPal button. If you make a donation in the month of December, you will be entered to win a Hooked Surfboards custom-made by Mike Rowe. On January 1st, I'll just put all of the names of anybody who donated into a random name generator app, and I will let it pick the winner. You'll hear about the types of boards that Mike builds later in this show. And if you win it, you'll only be responsible for shipping. So you can donate any amount or set up a recurring monthly fee. We suggest five bucks. It makes all of these shows possible. SurfSplendorPodcast.com slash donate. Thank you. Mike offered to do this six months ago, at least six months ago. And we agreed just to kind of push it back until we could record this conversation in person. So thank you, Mike, for your generosity. He also kindly let me crash with him at his enviable home in the Outer Banks, which always makes travel more enjoyable and colorful than just sitting in a lonely hotel room. I also got to hang with his boys Winston and Elliot, their Russian tortoise Sheldon, their dog Moose who had just been bitten by a coyote the night before I arrived. We hiked the sand dunes to hunt for sea glass, we ate ice cream at Jesse Hines Ice Cream Shop. And I even got to swing Tarzan-style on their vine right off the deck of Dad's Shaping Bay. Super, super fun time. The idea for recording this podcast actually began to feel like a chore because we were just having so much fun. But late one night, actually my final night, after the boys went to bed, we made this happen. And I'm really glad we did. It is long overdue. So, without further ado... I am David Scales for Surf Splendor, and here is my conversation with Mike Rowe of Hooked Surfboards. I hope that you enjoy.
1: And then you just get through it. Exactly. And you just don't grill me. No, I'm going to grill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course.
0: We're live uh, for the record. So, firstly, I'll give you a Proper introduction, of course, on your own time in post, right? But for the listeners, I am proud to announce—I um, mean, arguably the most well-renowned person I've ever had on the podcast, host of Dirty Jobs, <laughs> Mike Rowe. Well, hello. <laughs> and host of his own podcast. Have you listened to Mike Rowe's podcast? No, does he have one? Oh, it's good. dude. He's got the opera voice. So what's he talk about? It's called The Way I Heard It. And he he tells the story of a celebrity without saying the celebrity's name. Ah. He'll just give you the
1: backstory. And you got to figure it out at the
0: end? You don't even... I mean, it's not even a guessing game. You just go along for the ride. And it's like, oh, this Puerto Rican kid that, you know... um, venerated michael jackson and his parents were immigrants and like he did this and he won this dancing competition and all this stuff and you're listening to 15 minutes of going man this kid i'm in love with this kid i don't know who he is but i'm in love with him and then it turns out it's bruno mars and you're like oh i didn't really know anything about bruno mars but now i love bruno mars yeah that's pretty sick. So anyways, Mike Rowe, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
1: How did you get into hosting Dirty Jobs? <laughs> uh, you know, I had a few of them myself, so I uh, had to tell the stories. What was the dirtiest job that you had? Uh, concrete. Yeah? Building skate parks. Really? Mm-hmm. I worked with a guy. We bought a concrete pump, and we built my pool so that we could ride our skateboards in it, and it turned into a company called Artisan Skateparks, and they are in Barbados right now. They've built parks in Sweden. Holy cow. They've built parks in Arkansas, uh, the Sioux Nation in wherever in South Dakota. They've been all over the country and kind of all over the world building skate parks. Crazy. But I quickly recognized that it wasn't the life for me. Why not? 15 guys in one condo 12 pack cans stacked to the ceiling uh you know i had a life at home at the time and you know i was i don't know i didn't want to i didn't want to be gone you know yeah and i already knew i already had this trade building surfboards so oh you did yeah yeah okay. so i was like oh why am i turning my back on this trade of surfboards to shovel concrete and Beat on a concrete pump hose. Hmm. You know, I got flipped upside down with a shooting concrete hose in my hand, a shotcrete hose. I've seen firefighters trying to wrangle like a fire fire hose. hose. Similar to that. Heavier with concrete coming through it. Sure. Uh, We were in Charleston, South Carolina building a pool. And uh, it was for this guy, Mark G. Private pool, his backyard. We were rookies with this pump and it sometimes gets clogged and this back pressure builds up i might have been 175 pounds tops and i had a guy standing behind me with his hand on my shoulder and the pump's clogged and there's a guy beating on the hose with the sledgehammer and the pressure released and i'm holding on this hose and i literally flipped feet up over my head onto steel rebar cage mm. and uh I was like, what am I doing? I have this job at home. I already had a shaving room at home, you know? Foam, you know? Yeah. Light. Foam's a lot more <laughs> yeah, forgiving. Light. Uh, and a skilled labor position. And here I am beating myself to death. My friend Andy carried on, and they're crushing it. Are they? Yeah, they really are. They're very good. Good for them. There's maybe three companies in the country, you know.
0: I didn't know that there were that few.
1: Yeah, there's not a bunch. Wally Holiday is one. I don't know if he still does it. Um, Tim Payne, he built parks all over Colorado and California. Hmm. And these guys. You know. And do you still skate your pool? Uh, not as much, but yeah. You we, do? Yeah, we took some runs. Uh, we took some runs last season. I just drained it and cleaned it this week. Um, It's raining a lot, so I haven't been in it yet. But um, definitely we'll drop in and do some grunts. Not as heavy as we used to be. It used to be three or four days a week. Wow. And, And that was 2003 when we built it. And we skated a ton. Lots of guys came. Lots of pros came.
0: You ever put water
1: in it? For summertime. You did? FTS. It means for the swimmers. Or it could mean... Fuck the swimmers, right for the skaters, <laughs> you know. And there's your time of year when you get those things. Who
0: are the pros that have come through? Um, I mean, is your the only? Is your pool the only one locally? No, there's three in this neighborhood. So, is it a destination?
1: It used to be heavily. Okay. okay. Yeah, like uh, um, my favorite pros, Chet Childress. Um, he lives in Washington now, but he's a North Carolina guy. Um, He was an insane ripper, and we met him early on back down in Wilmington where you just were. We met him in Carolina Beach when he was a kid, Hmm. Um, and he was ripping then. Um, There were guys like uh, uh, Tony Trujillo came. He was a Vans, long-haired, super stylish ripper kind of guy. The editor of Thrasher Magazine was here. Um, Jake, I forget his last name. Pretty cool to... See that guy? We were we were skaters, so we looked up to him. Um, John Cardiel. He was hurt when he was here, but he was a. It was pretty cool. Peter Hewitt probably was the rippingest pro that ever came here. There were local guys that skated as good as him. Oh wow! Oh yeah, there's a guy named Science um, Dave Maxwell. He works on the skate park crew, who can go anywhere still today and rip. Hmm. so yeah skateboarding do your boys skate it not yet some elliot will get down in there and and cruise they will ride like little spinner bikes and scooters but they're not they're not i'm not pushing them to be skaters or surfers you know if they want to do it they'll do it on their own time you know i see guys push their kids and when their kids are 16 they're doing something else i'd rather my kids be doing it when we can all do it together right so i'll just let them let them be kids until they're ready to be those kids
0: they have a diverse set of
1: interests there's so much to do out
0: here too so it's best to kind of just let them to explore all of that stuff whether it be fishing or just mm-hmm. uh, glass sea glass hunting yeah, or whatever it hunting, is you know stuff. like it's all good just let them enjoy it uh where are we by the way
1: uh we're on the outer banks north carolina southern shores is my spot um but we call it town um see outer banks it's a good spot
0: do other people call it town or is it just town to you because you're in?
1: I think everybody um, that comes to the Outer Banks a lot knows town and knows down south. Okay. And so down south, so over the bridge we went over today, the Oregon Inlet Bridge. So better surf down south. Yeah. Um, and uh, so everybody's like, you're, you, you know, when you're down south and a guy from down south that lives there says, where are you guys from? If you say you're from town you get a little bit of a break, you're not from Virginia Beach. Right. So you get a break, you know, but, uh. But you're also not from there. They're not from Rodanthe or wherever right. it is.
0: What's different about Rodanthe in those places? It's more, is it more rural?
1: Well, um, it's, the, there's- the difference that makes the surf better is the lack of continental shelf. It's, okay. it's, uh. Open ocean. Just yeah, open ocean to the beach break, you know. So that's why it's better there. Um, more swell gets in there and, uh so that's it it's uh it's rugged there they flood a lot um i mean
0: there's a lot of um big national chain retailers and fast food chains here
1: in town yeah
0: is there that there too so nothing
1: it's, okay nothing so they have to come here to shop yeah they come to i see i saw the owner of lisa's pizza it's been a pizza place there for 30 years Saw them at the Walmart the other day. Got yeah. said, hey, what's up? You know? Right. Yeah, so they, they're they around. Um, they get their cars fixed. Maybe they get their cars fixed down there. There's a couple places down there, but they definitely come to town for most of their needs. What's the drive time? 30 minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not bad. Not bad. 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes, depending on how far south you got to go. Right.
0: Convenient, actually, to live here and then just drive 30 minutes to surf rather than 30 minutes to go to the grocery store it sure is yeah (laughs) yeah it's definitely
1: um they have their grocery stores but they uh they definitely they you know they get cut off sometimes down there nature will have its way with the island you know P island and uh those guys get cut off and we i've actually been by boat after a hurricane crew buddies a couple cases of beer and took them to my friends that live there and kind of you weren't even no one was supposed to be there snuck on surfed got back on our boat and came home um but at least we brought beer right Mm. you know um those guys built shacks on the beach during that time and didn't really want you around their peak and they probably took the best peak on the whole beach but there were so many peaks and it was like a ghost town Mm. so it was after one particular hurricane that Cut those guys off. Hate that uh, we benefited from that kind of misfortune, but I never even drove my boat. You have to go the sound way, and there's this old channel that you have to get there by. Takes you way west to come back east. So it was an adventure, you know, and uh, backpacks and surfboards off of a boat. Who doesn't like that?
0: Right. So.
1: Uh, how
0: many months of the year are there
1: waves? Uh hm. There's waves every month, but some months are better than others, I guess. Summertime is kind of slack up until August. Um, it active weather patterns make waves here, you know, so if it's stormy we get waves. Okay. Um, but if it's beautiful, sunny, summertime style weather, it's pretty sparse. Yeah. So. How long have you lived here? Uh, I moved here in 1986. So at what age? 32. I was 18 years old. From where? Uh, Portsmouth, Virginia. Okay. So not far. No, hour and a half away. Okay. What brought you here? Uh, the waves, you know. Uh, the waves. For us, we we were inland, 45 minutes from Virginia Beach. So we were never treated well in Virginia Beach. We were just inland guys coming to to surf and in Virginia Beach they had surf zones so there was two spots you could surf and they were crowded so kids from Portsmouth weren't you know we didn't know anybody we were just a few kids from Portsmouth going surfing you come to the Outer Banks and there's miles and miles and miles of fun waves and way less people right and uh, graduated high school the night I graduated I can't I went to one graduation party and about 11 30 12 o'clock at night Got in the car. I already had a place to live. Wow! And moved down. What did you have planned for work? I <laughs> uh, worked in a sub shop. I had a job already. I had a sandwich it all my- artist. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Early sandwich artist. Yellow submarine. My boss is wow, Jay how Williams. Clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yellow sub. Hey, but Jay, you know, Jay was instrumental in my life. I had a good job for four years. Was able to pay my bills. Went to mainland Mexico with Jay. Um he took us under his wing and we went surfing. You know, we are we were down in this historical houses right where we were today. Um and he he's like he made it so that we could surf, you know. We lived two houses from the beach at eighteen years old. Yeah. Sharing a house with a bunch of people from Richmond. They weren't surfers, just me and my two buddies. So if you when
0: you or I'm gonna force you to reflect on those <laughs> the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um can you envision anything different? Would you have done anything differently? Are you thrilled with the w- way of life?
1: Oh, man. Yeah, that's a reflective one. I think I wouldn't have done much different. I've lived a charmed life. I've lived in Breckenridge. I've lived at, my be- at, at the beach most of my entire life. I'm really close to it. I'm really in touch with it. Um, I wish I only had one job. I wish I would have figured out a way to make one job work so that I wouldn't have to like move and shake like a hustler, but I kind of like that too. I would be bored with one job, so maybe I probably don't have many regrets. Does anybody here only have
0: one job? Right? <laughs> Cuz I feel like everybody <laughs> is got like a summertime tourist related job that they crush it in for 3 months. Right. And then they have kind of a
1: Three or four different things that get them through the other nine months a year. Well, in the you know in the late eighties and nineties, there weren't a lot of professional people here. There, were, you know, there was no hospital, or um, less schools. There were there were less teachers, and so, and there was maybe one or two law firms. So now we have two high schools two middle schools three elementary schools we you know there's a community here now so there are professional jobs here there's sales jobs and stuff like that so it's different now than it was in i guess it doesn't really answer your question but well i ask uh if you would have
0: done anything differently out of kind of selfish uh ambition because i'm looking at the next phase of my life and i'm like this is the most envious enviable lifestyle i've seen in a long time and like i live in orange county southern california and even um you know eight hundred thousand dollar to a million dollar homes are in tracked developments with cinder block walls you don't have any property you don't know your neighbors there's no culture it's kind of this cultural wasteland of chain restaurants and things like that and um even the people who are living the, in the multi-million dollar homes with amazing gigs, jobs, don't live the same quality of life that you guys are living here. So I've been on the East Coast for over a week now and I've seen various parts of it from Florida on north and this is kind of the best quality of life that I've seen and it's totally reasonable uh, living expenses there's you give up some in terms of you know um there's not waves all the time which we're used to in southern california and also there's not the same economic opportunity but the question for me is just well shoot would you have done anything differently because i could see myself committing to the next 20 years of my life in orange county and then wishing i would have done something differently right you know yeah
1: so that's why i ask uh, yeah i get it I'm, um I get to live out my glory years with a freaking community I've known for 30 years. Right. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. I I can't go anywhere without seeing somebody I know. So I've seen. Yeah. And, everywhere uh, we've gone. Yeah. Um, shake a lot of hands. Get a lot of hugs. How can that be a bad thing, you know?
0: Well, and it's great for raising kids, too. I mean, yeah. I don't know what the school districts are like. Oh, uh, it's or, amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean... You know, I mean, you always, you see people and you always get a laugh. You know, you're guaranteed a few laughs every day just from the people you see. Yeah. Um, and the relationships you've had. I mean, you know, we saw Craig fishing, Craig Watson fishing. He's built surfboards. He built houses. He has the hustle just like everybody. He, he lived some time in Nicaragua. He's a hell of a surfer. He was one of those Virginia Beach kids and literally is one of those Virginia Beach kids that gave us shit right to our face. Like, I remember him, you know, yelling at us. And then he moved to Rodanthe, and then he moved to town, and he's now he's my friend. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because, you know, like, he built the house four doors down. He's still working there right now. Every day comes by, and we chat it up. You know, hey, did you catch a trout today? Hey, did you surf today? It's like that with everybody here. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's ton of people now that live here that i don't know but there's so many people that are our friends right so it's a community it's a great community yeah no kidding yeah
0: i'm envious yeah um i'm gonna read you this listener email okay because it's gonna cue up our board building conversation and i just think you'll appreciate it it's entertaining and it's interesting for me like doing the podcast now for five years um i always ask for listener feedback for people to chime in because i feel like a lot of listeners have more surf history knowledge than I have. Right. Some are just smarter than I am. So like, if I can kind of rely on listeners to guide the show, who should I interview? What should I talk about? Like, Then that'll make the show better. But then occasionally I get an email like this. This guy, uh, a lot of his origin story involves the podcast and I read these emails and I'm like holy cow that's fascinating to hear that this has influenced you right so he said I work at Trader Joe's I'm a sign artist I'm a sign artist for the store which allows me to listen to a lot of podcasts I've been listening to a lot of the back catalog and you mentioned that you want the community to engage well here's a story about my journey discovering surfing late in life and finding the right board so this will tee up your board building. Okay. Um, I live in San Clemente and I moved here with my wife seven years ago. I hadn't done any action sports in 10 years. I soon decided to buy my first surfboard. I went across the street to a surf shop called Catalyst. I looked around and I found a board that looked like it would work for me. The board was a 7 fun board with a thruster setup from a brand called Torque. I was considering myself a beginner and this board was perfect for that. After saving up my money, I purchased that board. After I began to get the hang of it, I asked my brother-in-law where Trestles was. I don't remember the first wave I caught, but I do remember the first time I ever went down to Trestles. It was a somewhat magical experience. The beauty of the trail was lush with plant growth and little critters here and there. Some graffiti under the bridge. It was offshore, and the mist of the waves were making a huge rainbow. It was some of the best surf I had ever experienced. I saw a pot of dolphins. Treffles really left its mark on me. Soon after, I started going down there on the regular. I started surfing down there a couple of times a week, and I found out that there was a set of rules when you paddle out at a spot. After After almost getting punched in the head multiple times, I found out that people don't really like it when you drop in on them. I found out how aggro the sport was, how competitive it was, how many alpha males there were, and out to jockey you for position. But if you caught a good wave, all of it seemed worth it. I learned that there was a pecking order at each spot. In fact, each spot had its own pecking order. Cottons for beginners, uppers for when you get better, then lowers when you got really good. After a year of surfing that spot on my 7 I finally snapped it in half. I decided to get a smaller board, maybe something in the high-performance range. I went to Timmy Patterson's surfboards, and I saw his stickers all over town, and I wanted something that was made locally. I was pretty sure that my 7-foot torque was made by a machine in China. When I was in the surf shop, there were so many cool boards to pick from. I talked with one of the older guys in told him what I was looking for. He suggested a certain board. I walked over, saw that board, touched it, felt it, smelled it. I was excited. I was getting an authentic San Clemente made surfboard. I asked the guy to come help me. And he told me he would, uh, I asked, I asked the guy, would you surf the board? Me? He asked. Then he went on to tell me that he was way too big for the board. And he thought, uh, to my, and I thought to myself, I'm way bigger than this guy, but i wasn't quite sure what he was talking about. Instead, I took out that new high performance surfboard and I was much too large for it. I noticed sitting on it that I was sinking in the water. I took it out at lowers. There was a strong current. It was hard to get to the point. Uh, Once I finally made it out to the peak, I was trying to get a wave. After an hour or two of frustration, a wave came to me. I took it. Two groms were screaming at me to get off the wave, calling me an old man, kook, telling me to beat it. I paddled to the shore and never actually caught a wave at lowers. I ended up selling that surfboard and ended up going with a backyard shaper, my friend, Josh Slay, son of Hawaiian transplant surfboard shaper, Randy Slay. Working with a shaper was a special treat. Being able to talk to him and work with him, he would go on um, to shape me Two very cool boards, a 6 1 Swallowtail and a 6 1 Pintail, five box fin setup, each board $450 bucks without fins. Having a Shaper make a board tailored to me really elevated my surfing. Now I could do turns, uh, I felt like I was skating. After experiencing two great boards with a personal Shaper, two boards that I absolutely trashed, beat up, um, I decided that I wanted to ride a Mayhem because. He was the local shaper that had all the hype, and I wanted to find out if all, if the boards would live up to the hype. I did a lot of research, plus testing out some models at a board expo, and decided that the Lost Puddle Jumper would be a right low rocker classic groveler, also accommodate kind of the dad style board that I needed. I ended up purchasing the board, and as I left the shop, I asked the kid at the counter, so this board was hand shaped, yes He said, uh no hmm strange. Somehow I thought that getting a hand I thought that I was getting a hand shaped board, but that was never really part of the conversation during the transaction. Oh well, a few days later, a solid South swell hit the area. The lowers cam looked insane. I rode my bike down to the trail and I paddled out, caught an inside gem that was still a solid six feet. Three beautiful buttery turns with a finishing move on the end. It was one of the better waves I had ever surfed. I was stoked. The board worked like magic. Everything I wanted to go, it. everywhere I wanted the board to go, it went. The hype was real, and these local lost surfboards worked insane. He leaves a little bit of a sign-off, but I'll just leave it at that. Um, I've got a lot to ask you about that email in regards to working with a local shaper, machine shape versus hand shape, blah, blah, blah. What are your thoughts, initial responses to the email?
1: Uh, Initial responses, that guy um, seems like he ran the gamut of surfboards (laughs) out the gate. Um, I'm not familiar with Torque surfboards, but he was probably right. You're not
0: familiar with Torque? Mm -mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a big, a, yeah, import manufacturer. Import manufacturer yeah, yeah.
1: board. So uh, I guess in the realm of things in the, in the world today, great start starting place, you know, probably inexpensive and got him in the game, you know. Um, sounds like uh, to me, I, because I would liken myself more to Randy Slay than to, to Matt Biolas, he got good service from Randy Slay. I'm not sure why he had to go on from okay. there I'm I you know I, and I wonder that too it happens to me here too you know kids get boards and then the next thing you know two or three boards later and they're on to an Al-American and you know I get it it's the best stuff out there but they're all just surfboards right
0: they are and they aren't you know like I mean is is there a value to working with a local shaper who um work I mean like those kind those of large exactly yeah yeah That's I goal. think
1: there is um I guess, you know, yeah, I think there is, um, now, you know, the guy wanted a specific board like that, you know, dad bod type surfboard that, uh, lost makes a ton of cool, you know, the rocket and the sub, uh, is the sub-scorcher a subscorcher, scorcher kind of a, that's probably, it's a model of theirs. I'm not sure yeah, what I think it it's is more but... of a short board, but, um, but like the rockets and and those kind of the couch potato and those kind of boards are volume, you know, bigger boards for bigger guys. So and it, and it sounded like it worked for him, mm-hmm. you know. So and he was stoked. He had that kind of experience on his first session. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's all we're after, right? Yeah. So it's the stoke. So, um, did he get personal service? Probably not much. Yeah. And maybe there's some value to that that makes everybody feel good inside. I don't know.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about machine shape versus hand shape. I think it was interesting that he said he was almost dismayed that he made the purchase thinking it was a hand shape and then learning that it wasn't. He was dismayed. And then yet, in the end, the board performed worked, for him. Worked, yeah, it worked. Yeah. So I think, I don't even know if it's a conversation anymore, but there was a big conversation for a decade. Sure. Hand shape versus machine yeah, shape. Yeah, the machine has so so no, yeah. soul. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I know you hand shape yeah. everything. Yep. What are your thoughts on the machine, and why um, do you choose not to use it? And-
1: uh, I choose not to use it because I don't do the volume that those guys do, honestly. I, I don't make enough boards to need it and I don't and I make custom boards so every board is different so I don't feel like there's a machine or maybe there is now but it probably costs a ton of money to dial up every single boards computer specs to get it spit out that way and by the time I sit in front of a computer and work on specs for a board that's a one-off I could shape it that fast yeah so I know um from having a conversation with Bob Yinger who is a shaper at WRV he's a little bit older than me i'm 50 he's probably 52 maybe 54 and he's been a production shaper for a long time and he put it to me the machine's a tool and like any good carpenter or
0: the planer's a tool
1: ah yeah i know it is Yeah, yeah for sure but he thought it was a necessary tool for him to keep up the volume at his age yeah so i respect that part of it i do Appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, I have certain guys that ride the same board time and time again, and I wish I could push a button for those guys, and that board would be spit out from me doing a few details to it at the end. That would be nice because I want those guys to get the the same board every time. Um, That being said, I do my best to recreate every board that's, you know, somebody says, hey, I want this, you know. And I come pretty close, but you know, sometimes things go different. I guess I don't make, I don't, wouldn't say it's a mistake, but you try different things, wide points forward or wide points back, whatever they ask for. You know, I'm, I'm a custom board builder, so if a guy comes to me with his ideas, it's hard to sway them. Mm. You have to let them. You know, you have to give them what they ask for, and then hope it goes well. You know, <laughs> so.
0: I, what posture would you prefer customers came to you with? I mean, there's. you I like want some that, information.
1: Yeah, I like guys that know what they want. I like guys that know. And, and, you know, it helps to have seen them surf, you know, to make my own judgments there. to you know, um, But, yeah, I, I think uh, I like a guy who knows what he wants. And if he brings me a board that he wants to recreate some things about that, that helps a lot. You know, I, I'm not opposed to like, I don't like copying, straight out copying. In, in my earlier days, I have copied a dumpster diver or a lost rocket because it's what you do. People ask for it and you're like, oh, okay, I can do that. Yeah. And it gives you great confidence. And actually getting those templates, making those templates you start blending dumpster divers with rockets and and whatever boards are, you know, hip at the time. Yeah. And you come up with your own stuff. And, uh, and you end up using your curves like a big French curve, you know, and you can move it around any way you want. So I, I like that bit of it for sure. But I definitely appreciate a guy who knows what he wants. Hmm.
0: I mean, there's things that just work, period. Right. So if you can just kind of implement the things that work and then refine your own adjustments to it. For sure. That's the idea, I suppose. Uh, I guess the question about machine versus hand is, could you definitively argue that a hand shape is better than a machine shape?
1: Definitively argue... I won't argue with it. I, I I enjoy my method of making boards, you know.
0: And, and you, but th- that has nothing to do with performance. All right. So does a hand shaped board that you enjoy work making better than, work better than a machine shaped?
1: Ah. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. I I think they're kind of the same these days. I don't know. Like you know, like that's a. I haven't given it much thought. I just do what I do in a, in a sense. I think I have had great success with some cool people and were they to grab a board off of rack that was machine shaped? They're good enough surfers to make anything work, Mm. you know? So the communication I have with them about their concaves or their thicknesses and stuff, I just try to create that for them. Um, yeah, i don't know i don't think one is better than the other anymore i you know and i was with you on the debate for sure for a long time uh you know but then people put it to you a different way and then it became sort of the norm you know for machine the machine yeah for the mass produced surfboards you know uh, fortunately i'm you know i'm happy that i'm not mass producing surfboards
0: I think it depends how you view the act of surfing. Like if you view it as an art form right. and a dance, which sounds super cliche and cheesy, right. but if you do view it as that, then there's no point in even having this conversation. It's all just personal expression. And there's no way to say that this piece of art is better than that piece of art. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so if that is the case, then the value is all in intention And the actual sentiment behind it and the work that goes into it and all that sort of thing. Um.
1: Well, how would you frame it to me if I said that a lot of my customers um, actually live the lifestyle are actually real surfers surfing as much as they possibly can, you know? Yeah. Um, And they enjoy the whole getting their board made. more than that's not replicable. Right.
0: Then that's not replicable by a machine.
1: Right.
0: It's like saying, I want a piece of art hanging on my wall. Right. And I can go buy the Thomas Kincaid like print, or I could buy the local thing that's handmade. And I know the guy and his kids go to school with my kids. Yeah. And that has more. I just have more sentimental attachment. There's no dollar amount that you would assign to either of those things. Right. It's just, I have this sentimental attachment to this thing and it has value. And, uh, so this is shot enough to pop. That Gigondas. They're closely, yeah. they're geographically thirty miles apart, right. but they're both in the southern realm. Yes. Yeah.
1: Thank you for bringing that up, ladies. The yeah,
0: I was like, ladies just yeah. brought an additional <laughs> bottle of wine. It's ten forty p.m. here in the Outer Banks. Um, but so when you look at it, again, I'm forcing you to have a conversation yeah, about yeah, this, I get it. about a commodity in this other version of the market that exists for some listeners not all like some listeners are in small towns yeah. around the world and they're buying from local builders right but there's also i think the vast majority of surfboards are sold as a commodity product or the vast majority of high performance thrusters right are sold as a commodity product on retail shelves in big retailers yeah and um and and then that scenario It's tough to
1: argue the artistic element of it, I suppose. For sure, yeah. Um, Yeah, because nowadays, there are so many artsy types of surfboards as opposed to the thruster, which kind of gets a bad rap now. Does it? I feel like it does. You know, even on your podcast, um, I think I heard you say the other day, I only ride my thruster if it's pumping. Yes. Yeah. That's true. And... I ride my thruster 75% of the time because I like the way it rides. But but I love – now, I have boards with volume and wider noses and fishes and, and I'm, you guys call them grovelers. I call it some kind of hybrid between a shortboard and a fish um, with performance bottoms. I, I prefer not to use terms like retro um, because – I like design moving forward, not taking from the past. Okay, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to seem salty about it. I, I like trying to make grovelers that are performance oriented. Hmm. And I really enjoy that. And, you know, I'd, I like thirteen inch wide noses, not necessarily eleven quarter inch wide noses, you know, like right. I like
0: even on your
1: i like yeah on my shortboard, it has a twelve and three quarter inch wide nose, and it has four and a half inches of nose rocker. It doesn't have five and a half inches, you know there are subtle adjustments that make you look like you're still carrying a shortboard down the beach, but you're you're actually carrying a board that fits your style and and build better right and i like that
0: well when i've said that i only ride the high performance shortboard thruster in really good waves it's more a reflection of my surfing ability at this point in my life it's right. a reflection of the fact that i've gained weight and i'm less nimble and less agile and that sort of thing it's right. like i can't paddle the thing
1: oh yeah and yeah.
0: i can't once i get to my feet i need the wave to push me yeah because i don't have the drive in it that i you know would on a yeah, volume. so like
1: I said, I cheat, I cheat and yeah. I, I make a, sh- a board that mimics a shortboard but has some fish qualities. Yeah. You know, a little bit wide point forward, a little more volume. Maybe not so much volume in the rails, but maybe volume in the middle of the board where it's hidden. Mm-hmm. You know, where you can't wrap your hands around it and go, oh, this board's gross, it's fat. Mm-hmm. Um, more like, oh, uh, well, this board has great shortboard rails, but it has volume up by my chest that helps me paddle. I'm 50 years old, and my current surfboard is 5'10", 19 and a half by 2 and, a half. and I will ride it in most conditions. Okay. You know? Um, I will not ride it in need to waist high surf. Most of the time, I don't even surf when it's need to waist high Well,
0: that's what my next question was going to be about riding the yeah. high-performance shortboard yeah. in good waves is because I feel like the waves we looked at today, yeah. I was almost enticed to be like, Hey, you dude, let's go You could have gone longboarding. Surf. I would have ridden the fish out there even. Cool. I would have been – and I almost felt like we had your kids in the car and like uh, otherwise, if we had the boards in the car and we wetsuits, I would have been like, hey, dude, let's get out there real quick. Yeah, yeah. Let's just get a couple waves. Yeah, we blew it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the other – couple of other conversations coming from that email. What about working with local Shaper for local waves? How important is that to you? I mean we hear about guys going to Hawaii and get Arakawa's or Rawson's or whatever. But we don't really – and maybe at Lowers with Mayhem or right. Patterson – we don't hear that a lot with other locations necessarily. Sure. What are your thoughts on the value of that?
1: Um, I mean, we, we have beach break, and then we have beach break, and then we have beach break. <laughs> so um, you know, and we have pretty punchy, tight transition beach break, even when it's chest high. So we have powerful little waves. Um, I have made boards for Oni Anwar and Noel Felipe. When they came here for contests um, for the Outer Banks Pro, um, they went well for them here. Um, I have had some other kids from Brazil when they were in town buy boards from me that I had laying around or whatever to ride for here. But it only happened a few times. I don't feel like guys are ordering boards for the Outer Banks by guys from the Outer Banks, you know. Um, I, it's just beach break, you know.
0: Um, do you feel, you listen to that Tim Pony episode that I did yep. and I was asking him like, is there a plight of the Maui shaper? And I asked Matt Miola the same thing. Do you feel a certain limitation to being on the Outer Banks? Certainly you can cater to the local community, but is there a lack of interest from the rest of the world? Is there a plight of the Outer Banks shaper? The plight
1: of the Outer Banks shaper is that we all live here on the Outer Banks In the same kind of economic, like, uh, I produce a lot of surfboards for guys that are my friends and have been my friends for a long time. They get that proverbial bro deal. And it's because they can't afford much more. And frankly, if I weren't building surfboards, I wouldn't be able to afford much more than a local surfer, you know what I mean, or a local shaper. I would... It would be my economic, like, constraints that keep me there. Um, We don't have that New York City, you know, market for fancy, colored, you know, retro-type boards that are beautiful. I mean, we make them, but we don't get that price for them here because nobody's willing to pay. Is there a difference in quality
0: between those boards and the boards that you're building here?
1: Oh... I, mean, I guess that's a matter of opinion, but I really think that I don't, you know, I've I worked in a glass factory forever, I learned from good people, but I left that glass factory and said I'm going to do it all on my own, so I definitely went through a glassing learning curve, um, and I decided that I would do a lot of UV cured resin stuff, right out the gate, as soon as I built my little spot. It's like, I'll do this UV cured stuff. I can produce a board a day and I can, you know, and it's faster. And in, in the beginning, maybe I cooked them too long and a couple of guys got some bad sticks. But now I maybe have to get better at cutting my laps better. But I feel like glass job wise, I'm as good as the next guy now. You know, I feel like I'm pretty solid. And I feel like guys around here that build boards are building good solid surfboards.
0: What's the difference between UV cured resin and what's the alternative?
1: I mean, regular old resin that you put hardener in and UV cured resin are the same exact resin. One has liquid hardener. That's bad for me and bad for the environment. And the other one has a powder. That's a UV powder that activates in the sun or in a tanning bed slash curing to UV rays. Yep. Yeah, with UV rays. Um, which gives off a lot less, you know, harmful fumes. Um, And it happens faster. And what is the difference in the finished product? You can't, I think the UV cure boards are whiter, um, clear, you know, like they're whiter looking in the beginning. If you cure them too much, like I learned in the very beginning, they yellow out after a couple of years probably faster than a regular board. But now we we use the tube. We understand it better, you know what I mean? I understand it better. I don't use it as much. Um, I dry things in there after they, we, we always use a little bit of the liquid hardener now. You have to use the liquid hardener because you have laminates on your boards. And so you use a little bit of liquid hardener. You put the powder in your resin as soon as your board starts to gel, as soon as it kicks, which gives you a lot more work time to make sure you don't have any bubbles or, or weird spots in your laps underneath when you're glassing. You know, you have more work time. As soon as that thing starts to gel, then I stick it in. So it's already Stick going. it in the stick oven. Stick it in, yeah. In, or the in UV. the UV tube or whatever. Or stick it out in the sun on a rack. Beautiful, non-humid days. Um, fall and spring. Boards go fast. So fast. Um, I can glass a board in like three hours.
0: And is there any difference in the longevity of the final product with either... I
1: used to think maybe that, um, that I, and I heard only from naysayers that these boards were more brittle because they get exposed to the sun afterwards. But I think a board's cured when a board's cured. I don't think it cures. Overcures or something? Yeah, like I don't think it overcures with, with sunlight. And now I've, you know, I've been doing my own glass jobs for, man, 14 years. Mm. So I feel like my boards last as long as any. Now my guys that are rippers and get all four ounce glass jobs, their boards don't last. Right. You know what I mean, but they put themselves in places and they do things on waves that other normal guys don't. I have great, you know, longevity with my boards now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and when you one point I would definitely like to say is that when you spend less time waiting for a board to cure, you do extra steps like cheater coats on laps, and you tape off and make super hard edges with the little dam around the tail of the board that you can fill and stick in the sun in two minutes, and it and it hardens just enough to move to the next step where you hot coat over it. So you can take extra steps because it takes less time. And you go to a local glass shop or any glass shop, and they might not cheater coat the laps. You know, they may not, you know, like take the time to to make a little dam and make super hard edges i got guys that ask for their edges four inches above their fins and a foot above their fins and they want their edges where they want their edges and i'm able to give it to them because my steps don't take time two or three minutes of tape up and a few seconds of pouring the resin in and squeegeeing it out sit in the sun or sit in the light and it gels and you're you're hot coating it right and you i feel like i'm i because I do the whole process, I feel like I do a better job. Hot coating, cheater coats, you know, just all the little things that might get overlooked in a production scenario. Right. So I know I make a solid surfboard now. Right.
0: One of the other details from that email, he mentioned the final board that he ended up with, or most recently, was uh, Mayhem,
1: a map by Olis. Yeah, man.
0: Matt Biolis stayed in this very room. He,
1: he stayed in the house. He did not stay in Oh, he near. stayed in the house. He stayed in the house with his kids. So
0: Matt Biolis, did he stay in the same bedroom that I'm staying in?
1: No, he stayed upstairs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, the point is Matt Biolis stayed in yeah, the same house that I'm here. I'm yeah. trying to like attach yeah. myself to the How's the, group. you know, possibly the number one board builder in the world staying in my little, you know, custom surfboard little tiny world here you know like it was pretty amazing actually how did that happen and what what it what was the
0: experience like for you
1: so my futures rep his name is frank russell and he's a legend around here he traveled to bali in the 70s he is super kind um he's a ginger he Is gnarly, cuts off his own skin cancer. He is a character. Really? Clove cigarette smoking badass. That's heavy. Frank is awesome. And I have a good relationship with Frank because I kind of 98% use Future Fins. I was a sander in my board building world when I was a kid and FCS. Had they had a lot of issues with the first rounds of SES, you know, they were designed to have the fin break and not the plug. But what always happened was the plug popped out, not the fin breaking. Futures were under the glass and they were solid, and and I always had the best luck with them, and we never had problems with them. So I took them on at an early time, and Frank recognized that I was a big fan. And Frank calls me one day, and there was a very good early season hurricane swell in Avon, and I had been surfing all day. Um, and it was really good. They were dredging the beach down there, and they were—they had just this super good little point, like dredge point, dredge pipes all over the beach, tons of people around. I come home, I'm burnt, I'm tired, and I get a call, and Frank says, hey, is your Airbnb open? I'm like, no, um, we have people. And he goes, I said, why, Frank, who do you got? And he goes, well, um, Matt Biolis needs a place to stay tonight. And I'm like, are you kidding? Of course, I, I, you know, my kids aren't here tonight. I have the whole upstairs of my house. He's like, well, he's with this kid, so I was like, well, cool. He can stay here. I have to work at 4 o'clock. I'm working at my bar that I work at, and, uh, you know, just give him my number, and I'll set him up. He showed up at my bar at, like, 8.30 had a drink, had some snacks, I sent him to my house, I come home, him and his kids and his East Coast rep, Danny Woodruff, are in my pool swimming, (laughs) and uh, had a couple vodka sodas with him, had a super cool conversation, we actually have a lot in common, Uh, I lived in Breckenridge and snowboarded for ten years in the winters, and he snowboards all the time, He it was an early skateboarder and I have a pool in my backyard for skateboarding and he quickly recognized it swimming in it. So, um, his kids rode my kids bikes. He touched my surfboards. He went in my shaping room. It was cool. It was, yeah. uh, I, I have nothing but like the, the coolest experience to talk about with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it was cool. Did you learn anything from him?
1: Uh, I learned to wear my earplugs. <laughs> he definitely um, lo- <laughs> has hearing loss from not wearing his earplugs Matt oh okay yeah I think that uh, th- that's why I mean you know what am I to talk about surfboard design with that guy you know yeah. like guy didn't even go there yeah I showed him my stuff he recognized the fact that I basically knew what I was doing and was a boutique style you know, local underground shaper, backyard shaper. We, we all have our play. We know our place, um, and I'm not even ashamed of it. Um, I was super proud to show it all to him. Awesome. You know, um, so I didn't learn other, anything other than to wear my earplugs, and I always have.
0: Yeah, good. You know, so good. Well, that's a lesson for everybody. Listen. Yeah, wear your protect protection. yourself.
1: Protect yourself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wear protection. Um, And by the way, your shaping bay is in the garage, and then you have a glassing facility in a shed, essentially, out back. Yeah. So we haven't mentioned that yet. You mentioned that you're doing it all yourself, but it's on site. Yeah. Which is pretty insane. Yeah, I get to
1: work at home.
0: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, Another listener email. Listener in New Bern.
1: Yeah, North Carolina.
0: By the way, is New Bern, is there an old Bern? (laughs) Like, is it in (laughs) Switzerland? There's plenty of old birds here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I
0: say that because the town feels like it's European in a sense, like the architecture and stuff. Have you been there? Yeah. I uh, stayed there last time I was here. Oh, wow. Just for one night.
1: Yeah. And it was, it was like there was... Um, there are good southern folks there. I know that. They're the nicest people. Um, and they're, you know, what are they, 15 miles from the beach or something down that to Havelock? Or, they're 15 or 20 miles from the beach there. They got smoked in Florence. Did they? I hate it for those people. Mm. They definitely got smoked because um, it's all around the river. One one thing I know about New Bern is when I drive to Wilmington, which is south of here, five hours, we have to pass through New Bern and there's huge bridges and the whole little downtown area is right on the water. And I know it took a beating. Um,
0: I had a lovely experience there yeah. a couple years ago when I stopped by. But I did think like the architecture and stuff, it reminded me of like... Sweden or something is that a is a Swedish development am I wrong entirely
1: Natalie it used to be the yes. capital it used to be the capital
0: of North Carolina really, really? New
1: Bern's old
0: yeah. New Bern okay. but is there an old burn? no there's just New Bern <laughs> <laughs> weird just the new
1: because
0: like there's there's it's a right town in England. you know what I mean that's, that's what like I'm saying York, no that's what new new I'm saying sa- exactly Canada. Canada. like there's I'm a sure. town in England called it's York, York. And then there's New York,
1: and you know. Well, there is. All right, I'll look this up. England, and there's Portsmouth, Virginia. So the same. Was it
0: settlers from Portsmouth, England Mm -hmm. that ended up in? So, I
1: mean, you know, it's coastal Virginia, so yeah. All
0: right. Well, this this email came from a listener in Newburn. Bern. Bern. and uh, (laughs) he said two subjects I would enjoy hearing um, from you guys. Um, with Outer Banks guess is the tension and irony with those in the Outer Banks trying to live their lives in their isolated island with all the inherent risks, weather, economy, medical care, and the actions of environmental groups like the Audubon Society. I lived in Southern California for four years and have never heard somebody from the surf industry speak to the consequences of the coastal communities like Hatteras Island island villages from the restrictions that have come from the actions of big and non-local environmental groups Mm. while there are many layers to the issues it is at least a part of the discussion to acknowledge that the consequences to local businesses in the outer banks when environmental action is taken without due consideration for the people who live from the land and the water they once owned who now can't access it it's a story that goes all the way back to World War II and on that note World War II also has some fun stories that intersect with the Outer Banks Um, also the bankers unique brogue is also a cultural interest and may not whet your larger audience's appetite Mm. carry on thoughts
1: boy um, so don't settle I have legal consult here that I make. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, I think, you know, to speak out against the Autobahn Society is kind of frivolous. I, um, there are powers to be that we can't control. And uh, I think that the things that they have done recently, like, limit our access to the point for a non-native species bird like the sandpiper is semi-ridiculous borderline insanity the only records of birds run over by car are birds run over by cars were actually run over by Park Service employees are you kidding I wish I was that's like the most there were I I think it's something like the amount of birds killed and reported run over by cars Two thirds of them are runner by Park Service employees. You know? So they they those birds could exist on dredge islands in 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 and behind Hatteras where there are no predators like foxes and raccoons and live a fantastic life on a dredge island. And I can't drive to a point of land to go fishing, which was a national recreation area up until a few years ago. It's ridiculous. And it's uh one of those insurmountable fights that you just you know, I don't know, I don't care how many people go park out in the point and protest. It's beyond our control, you know?
0: Because the Audubon society is yeah, just that or, much yeah. bigger of a and body. Some
1: you know, some appointed judge in Raleigh who has no idea of our way of life can just say whatever he needs to say to keep his, conting- you know, constituents happy. Uh, it's, ah, it's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. Oregon Inlet, um, you know, they can rope off 90% of the point and you can only drive to certain areas. It hurts everybody. It hurts the tourists. They come here and they've come here for decades to go fishing on the point. Now they can't go because some bird... And I'm, you know, I like birds. I got bird feeders. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it just, it just sucks that they, you know, like I said, it's a non-indigenous bird. It can live in plenty of spaces on the outer banks that it wouldn't get run over by a car. And it does. I just don't think there's some, there's some endangered species that should be protected. Yeah. Yeah piping plover look it up
0: what's their interest why are they even doing it
1: I think that their interest and then this is purely speculation on my small mindedness but if I had to guess I would think that the powers that be would love to see the outer banks returned to the way it used to be when there was nothing here because there's a lot of insurance dollars that have to get paid out during storms and this is totally narrow minded like I have no idea what their interest was in stopping us from driving on the beach
0: you know Right.
1: but I feel like and I've heard from some people that I respect that maybe they just want things to go backwards here because it's expensive for them to shell out the insurance money when storms happen.
0: I mean, you say they want to go backwards here, but if you go backwards, those things were allowed back in time. So it's not even going backwards, really. Those things were allowed,
1: but there were so few people here. Okay. You know, like if you go back 75 years, the Outer Banks was a sand dune. Right. And
0: uh, it's almost bizarre to me that people ever built... Out here Houses, in the first all in the place. Places. Yeah, Especially when yeah, you rode yeah. down
1: the beach today, right? Completely. Saw how high the tide was coming?
0: Yeah, completely. It's fascinating. Uh, are there any other um, local kind of circumstances that people aren't aware of, that people should be aware of?
1: I mean, the fishery scenario is... You're not uh, familiar with it. Uh, yeah, so I think that the commercial fishing... With this, they're called zane nets off the beach, and they they like can take a boat off the beach and put a net out hundred yards and wait for the fish to come by and then come in. There's a bunch of commercial fishing things that people would probably people are probably up in arms about. Like other states, like Florida, have leaned more towards recreational fishing as opposed to commercial fishing, but we are a conservative state and I've heard the statement Jesus fished (laughs) we have the right to fish and they do yeah yeah and they do and but the problem I have with it is that all of our good seafood goes in New York City in trucks
0: oh it does it really oh
1: you watch it go down the street what are in
0: local restaurants what are they supplied with we get
1: freaking bronzino do you know what bronzino is a European farm-raised fish and we get snapper from New Bern yeah, yeah, like a farm-raised fish from from mountain trout on restaurant menus. So I probably you know people will look me up and come after me for saying that.
0: But is it because of what New York's willing to pay? Hey. It's just who's willing 100%. to
1: pay. 100%. Yeah. And you know, how if you come to the outer ranks for 30 years and all you see on the menu is tuna and mahi-mahi, maybe you get tired of that. Yeah. And that doesn't keep your keep somebody's interest. Right. But that's what should be on the menu, because that's what's here. Yeah. The other thing that we haven't discussed... By the uh, way, ladies, you're welcome to play pool or whatever. There's no
0: problem if... Uh, you make noise? You, yeah, if you make noise. <laughs> ping, pong, ping pong is welcome <laughs> as well. Um, serving. It's the other thing that we haven't talked about on air, but, I mean, people who have lived here get it, or have visited here get it. People who have not, I don't think they fully understand the... Um, tourist dynamic can you explain what the economics are like and what the experience is like living here it's basically 3 months out of a year you told me 300,000 people a week visit the Outer Banks
1: at least Um, I would say that it's got to be a high number of our community that 100% depends on that income and so I love them I you know for if they if that three months of heavy concentration and a little bit of shoulder season on both sides of the summer happen I get to live here in peace and quiet for six other months I think it's pretty awesome I've only
0: been here in the off months and it's dreamy
1: yeah (laughs) it is it is people are like oh you're you know it's boring there's nothing to do there's so much to do, you know? Um, you just kind of have to make the most of it.
0: But it's freakish. The level of tourism that shows up in that short period of time seems unfathomable to yeah. me.
1: Yeah, it's wild. Um, it uh, creates uh, creates an entrepreneurial spirit that is... I'm sure it's like every tourist town on on the beach, you know, that has this influx that only happens you know for the summer but i watch a lot of creative people come up with great ways to make a lot of money cool you know and i respect that and i respect the attitude of giving them hospitality like keeping it southern keeping it nice like uh, i mean i was a waiter forever in a restaurant i still do a little bit of bartending and you don't make any money being mean to people or rude to people, you make money being nice to people. Yeah. And, uh, so I 100% appreciate the tourists. I, I, I manage Airbnb properties and, you know, they sustain my way of life. Yeah. And I have a wonderful way of life. Yeah. So that's my point on it. You know, I don't, I feel like, uh, without them, I couldn't live here. Like I do. I live in a nice house in a nice neighborhood, you know, um, I'm super thankful for them.
0: It's really interesting. Um, you know the next sequence of questions because okay. everybody gets them, no Good. matter what them. their background is. Um, where do you get your surf media nowadays? Do you subscribe to magazines? What websites do you go to?
1: I look at Beach Grit and Stab. That's it. Chaz would be bummed because I look at Stab. Sorry, Chaz. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. He would,
0: but I do. Um, I, although I have a feeling he's looking at it more than you and I, because <laughs> he,
1: probably he is. talks so
0: much crap. How oh, does yeah. he know so much? Then he if- has
1: to know about it, right? Um, I listen to Surf Splendor Podcast Network like um, like religiously. When the when a uh, pod drops, I'm listening to it. Whether I'm working, you know building surfboards or tiling a bathroom or putting down some hardwood floors or making some artwork at my house. I'm definitely, you know, listening to that or some good music. I'm curious, why is
0: it dwindled to just Beach Grit and Stab at this point? Why, does, why are those the only two that you look well,
1: at? Well, yes. um. Uh, Maybe because I'm too cheap for a subscription to Surfer's Journal. Okay. I mean, I have stacks of them. Yeah. Um, It's a fair answer. Yeah. But I just, um, they were Christmas gifts from my buddy Eric or somebody gave me Christmas gift subscriptions and I I followed through with it. But whenever my subscription ran out, um, I even carried them in the little surf shop I had, um, Surfer's Journal. But, you know, print mag, what surfing is gone um and surfer magazine is pretty thin eastern surf magazine used to be a magazine we could pick up anywhere wherever you know wherever you went to a surf shop and it's not in print anymore so um my instagram shows me the clips and they link me to those two sites interesting yeah um
0: what about how closely do you follow the WSL
1: Oh, I love it. <laughs> you do? I do. I actually do. I love it. I I hinge. I you know I hang on a lot of heats. Um, even without you know my hero Kelly Slater, you know my beloved Kelly Slater. I'll say it. I don't care. I'm not a Slater hater. I I love the fact that he's from the East Coast and he he's done well for himself. And I watched him win his eleventh world title in San Francisco. I made a trip out. Just to watch it happen. Did you really? I sure as hell did. Holy cow. It was amazing. And you know, he won, but he didn't win.
0: The math was wrong.
1: The math was wrong. And guess who called it out? Kelly. Himself. Yeah. Right? And then the morning that I woke up in this little hotel right above Kelly's Cove, surf is like shoulder high, a little bit bigger, and they call the event off for the day. I go down for a surf and... We paddle out and like Tiago Perez is in the water. Jordy Smith is in the water. There's lots of guys surfing right there. Kelly Slater's in the parking lot. I got my picture taken with Kelly Slater. I was so stoked. Me and my buddies all like stood with him and he was super gracious about it. And that's the day that he figured out that he didn't win the world title. He had his golf clubs in the truck. He didn't have a surfboard in the truck, but he was still at the beach checking it out, right? So, I mean, we were there when he won. We, I have pictures on my phone of him on stage, like he won, the next day we find out he didn't win, and then, you know.
0: So when you took your photos with him, you thought that he was still the champ. The world
1: champ, but for the 11th time, you know. Yeah, we totally did. But so what? It was Kelly Slater. Those photos are less valuable
0: afterwards. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: right. Yeah, it's so funny. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, and some dude photobombed. It was classic. There's, like, five of my friends, and then this one little weird dude. (laughs) It's <laughs> hilarious.
0: Now there's multiple weird dudes, but <laughs> yeah, there's just I one see, that wasn't your friend. Yeah, In
1: San Francisco, you're right. <laughs> That's
0: funny. Um, I had no idea that you went for that. Um, who are your current guys? Now that Slater's off, I mean, you got to be psyched. Parko, one Eva.
1: Yeah, because we're old and we love Parko. And, <laughs> and I really would be excited for Parko to go out winning the triple crown. It would be totally. amazing. Oh, I would be so pumped for that. I have to say, um, I'm a Matt Wilkinson fan. Are you really? Uh huh. I didn't bom- know that. I'm bombed on his year for him this year, but I saw he's making some moves, buying hotels, and like maybe he's setting himself up to to cruise on into his time after he doesn't qualify. Um, after he doesn't qualify. <laughs> oh, Sorry, Matt. Zing, dude. <laughs> oh. <laughs> While wow, oh, calling it right God. now.
0: Well, I mean, it's funny you say he's had a rough year. No, no, no. Matt Wilkinson had two good years. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. all he had. Yeah, that's
1: right. Yeah, yeah but, but I was in San Francisco and he wore a tie-dyed wetsuit. Yeah. And it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I like that kind of creative spirit that Matt Wilkinson offers. Um, I en- enjoy Griffin Pinto. I would love to see that kid. Rise above even guys like Chloe Andino. I'd like to see him overtake that guy. You know what I mean? He seems like a genuine, super nice kid. You know, I don't know him, but no, you're you're a hundred percent right, and therein lies
0: the fault. Yeah, kid. he might be too nice, kid. Yeah, and also kid. Yeah, he's 18. he just feels like a. Um, mm naive. I have to, he feels so, innocent.
1: Like you, you open up a can of worms with the WSL talk because I really do watch a ton of it, right? And I watch it... Yes. <laughs> I guiltily watch it maybe driving down the road in my car. You know? <laughs> I will not lie. I've admitted that <laughs> on admitted air before, the, yeah, so I'm fine I, with it. I will not lie that I do enjoy the hell out of it. Um, I... Man. I would love to see Julian Wilson win. I know that people like think that he has it too good to have the killer instinct to win. Yeah. Um, but he's beat Gabby at pipe, and I would love to see it happen.
0: Man, I—it's not good enough just to beat him in the final. I don't know the way yeah. the math exactly shakes out, right. but I think he has to beat him by multiple places. Yeah, yeah. like so,
1: Gabby's got to fall out before the third, or, or he's got to fall out before maybe the—he's got to fall out in the quarterfinals, and Julian has to win. Got it. Right, something like that.
0: That sounds about right. Yeah. So,
1: which um, is. I mean, that could happen. It's I mean, conceivable, but I, highly unlikely, right?
0: The thing is, Gabby's made the finals like more often than not at and Pipe. Like He's almost guaranteed.
1: So let's face it, like Gabby is a good surfer in waves of consequence like Pipe and Chopu. Totally. Yeah, and so much respect.
0: Or he's a good surfer in and, crappy conditions, too. Yeah, That's the problem.
1: Yeah, and I put myself in the water at San Francisco, and he won that search contest Yep, Yep. and he was a grom he was 18 and he won that contest and i was i don't know that was five or six years ago no how long more
0: than that for sure
1: yeah whenever kelly won his 11th world title. anyways i was younger then and i know that i was avoiding sections in ocean beach beach break that most regular guys would be avoiding and and all of those guys were smacking the ever-living out of it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they were. They. It was nice to be in the water and then watch what they were doing in the same waves that you were running from lips.
0: It puts it into perspective.
1: In, in such a big way.
0: 2011 was the year. Okay. So seven years. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that, I think Gabriel qualified that year, and that was when yeah, it was when only the France, back. Too. Yeah, it was only yeah, like – You get the half year. So he came on on the back half and then won France and San Francisco. And it was was, like, oh my gosh. Yeah, which was wow.
1: And he was a peacock, man. He was like standing on stage with his chest puffed out. I'll never forget it. He was like full of it. And maybe that's what it takes to win. And I think it does. Yeah. At that level, it does. Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, And I think Griffin can grow into that. My concern about Griffin is just there's a naivete. Mm -hmm. He's so innocent yeah and he's like this unbelievable talent right? right with this innocence and i feel like in anybody's life you just hit a couple of uh, barriers and you become a little bit cynical and then that shakes your confidence a little bit right and so i'm waiting for that to happen i think we've seen it happen with Kaloe. we've seen it happen with different people over time right. so i'm waiting for that to happen i i'm a huge fan and i want the best and i Want American kind of... Yeah. So um, let me
1: ask you a question. Yeah, yeah. The new kids that might qualify, who are you looking forward to most seeing, sir?
0: Seth Moniz, potentially? Yeah, for sure. I love Seth Moniz. Yeah. I feel like that Moniz legacy is going to help support him, and he'll do well because of that.
1: Yeah. I had surfboards in the 90s painted like Tony Money's a circle really yeah yellow striped down the Hilarious. middle red rails rounded pins like short stubby things that were in that beginning of the fish era yeah that was the new fish era not the old 70s fish right. era and uh yeah I had Tony point paint jobs
0: well so that legacy goes a long way for me mm-hmm. to kind of building a foundation for the guys but then also Seth didn't qualify too soon like seth has been on the radar for five years three years let's say right i remember seeing him do unbelievable airs three to five years ago right get unbelievable barrels at backdoor three to five years ago where it was one clip and everybody turns their head and goes holy crap that was the best barrel of the winter or the raddest air of the winter or whatever it was and then he went into quiet mode for a period of time. And then six months later, popped up as opposed to just all of the limelight focused on him for right. a decade, right. following and tracking. Like Jordy and, and those paying guys, how him. those guys came along. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so he knows what it's like to get a taste and then just prove himself repeatedly, yeah. over, and 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 over, over and over, learn over and over and learn the whole way along. Cool. And then he's done the backflips. He's done the big barrels. He's done... He's kind of proven himself in a lot of different conditions. Right. So I'm glad to see him on the world stage. I don't know so much what to expect from him competitively. Like, I don't think of him as a ruthless competitor the way I think of... I don't know. Idolo, Mick, yeah. Gabriel. How fun is Idolo though. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but... Of the new crop, like he, I'm excited to see Seth for sure. And it's cool just to have Hawaiian kind of powerhouse legacy on tour, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so if you could build boards for anybody around the world, kind of whose surfing do you look at and think, God, I'd love to work with that kid and
1: build boards for him? Oh, man. Uh, I would, you know, I'm going to say this and, and, and it, I, I would love to build a surfboard for Jack Robinson because he rides waves of consequence. And the most fun I have is building my friend's boards for the waves that count. And he rides waves that count. Be kinda cool.
0: That's a great call. Yeah,
1: I think it would be fun. I, I know that the age of shortboard is waning, you know? I love making them, I like making Ferraris, you know? I really enjoy Shortboard design. I mean know it's like everyone beat it to death and everyone wrote it to death. But they have their place. I don't
0: think it's waning.
1: Oh you don't? You know, I I feel like like guys reach for their shortboard less and less. Really? Yeah, even around here, you know. Hmm. I have kids that rode my boards for a long time and then got a Hayden shape and rode a Hypto Crypto until it got good. You know what I mean? Because mm. you can't match that with a PU and, and, you know, like buoyancy and lightness and durability. You know, I couldn't match it. And so they grabbed those things. And then when it got good, they're like, oh, I need my shortboard. Hmm. You know, and so they grabbed their shortboard and they're like, oh, you, you make a good shortboard. You know,
0: when you watch them surf on the Hypto Crypto, do you think that you could build a board that would suit them better than that board? They think that that board is more buoyant and the things that you just said, but do you think that you could build a better board for them?
1: I don't know if I could build it as light and as durable.
0: Because you're using PU just and...
1: polyester, yeah. Like I, you know, one thing that troubles me a little bit mm-hmm. is I listen to all the podcasts, the creators and innovators, the, the board builder ones, all the ones, you know, I listen to them all and I hear the industry moving past me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm just a little guy in a backyard building polyester boards. I love the method and everything, but I know that better things are to come. I would love to get on board, but I don't know if I can build, you know, Hayden shape carbon rail vacuum bag things.
0: You think that's where it's going? Because I feel like that is a trend, but I'm not, I feel like it's almost cycled past that trend. I don't know a lot of people that are writing those boards anymore. And I'm not,
1: I love the contest you did or like send me pictures of guys ripping on Hypto Cryptos. I could have sent you 20 of two or three guys around here ripping on them. Really? Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's this, you know, Dana Quinn, Matt Price, the Feruta boys. Those guys were ripping on them. Hmm. Airs, big turns. They were ripping Because
0: them. they rip, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, those guys surf well. Yeah. So they would surf well on anything. On
1: anything, right. Yeah. So- Tiger
0: Woods could grab a set of golf clubs from the local garage sale and crush the And smoke
1: people, right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, well, I mean, well, what was the allure then?
0: You know? User friendliness, for okay. sure. Yeah. Um... I-
1: I like. I think a lot of it had to do for these guys were s- smaller waves, lighter surfboards, and the buoyancy. Yeah. I mean, if, it, yeah, if, yeah, if we have to talk technical technical about it, that's what worked for them. Yeah. You know, and that's and and durability. You know. Yeah. These guys, I mean, they're kicking their surfboards or beating their surfboards up. So.
0: Um. How often do you ride other people's boards? Uh, like boards that you didn't show? Not much. Really?
1: Yeah, not much. I Why rode not? that Lost at Inland. Um, oh, you
0: went to Inland Surf Park in Austin and yeah. rented a Lost. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I rented a Lost and rode that. Um, mostly because I don't get a bunch of opportunities to do it. Okay. You know what I mean? I don't. Um, I don't paddle up to a guy in the water and go, "Hey, you know, can I ride your board?"
0: You don't order boards from other shapers?
1: Uh, um, no, there's not around. You know, like. There might be two local kids that I might order, uh, you know, a twin fin from one day, you know, like uh, or, a, a, you know, a kind of a ride anything type surfboard I, you know, you know, I'll, I'll have to, you know, tell you that like the two kids that I think have the potential to do something with themselves as far as building surfboards are Asher Hunt and Josh Peterson and they build attractive alternate Alternative material, you know, not alternative materials. Alternative surfboards, yeah. right? You know, they don't necessarily ride shortboards, or even want to ride shortboards, mm-hmm. and their boards seem to work for the guys that are riding them. Yeah. So if I were to try any, those two guys would be the guys I'd ask to build a board. I'm going to build some surfboards in the next couple of weeks with Josh. He's coming to town, and. uh Needs a place to build some boards, so he's going to use my facilities, and I'm going to build a board for a buddy with him. We're going to kind of collaborate on one. Cool. So I'm excited about that. Cool. That's like a 24 year old kid that's built 100 surfboards that seems to be getting some traction. Right. So,
0: um, if you could order any board from anybody in the world, what would you order and from whom?
1: Ah. Hmm. Uh, Jeez. You know, I would be very interested in riding a Ryan Lovelace board. Really. Me too. I, yeah. I I have a friend. I have a semi connection to him. Um, my friend James Clower does some work for him. He's glass some boards for him and works at Glide Surf. or used to work at Glide Surf Company, and I would love to get something smaller. I don't really want a mid-range v balls type board. I would like some kind of fish. I've never rode an asymmetrical board, so he might be the guy to turn to that, you know? That would... uh, What intrigues you about him? He's a good craftsman, right? I mean, I think that's what it is. Um, He seems a little curated, you know, like his pallet wood maroon shaping room is a little much but it works for him mm-hmm. his marketing is brilliant um, and he makes a lot more money off a of surfboard than I do yeah um, and I uh, whether it's market or just complete and utter confidence in your craft I, I feel like I, I've listened to podcasts I've watched it grow you know over the past few years wouldn't mind a riding birchboard though too yeah that would be cool i love his part in the chili video and or in the uh Vulcan video psychic migrations oh my god how's that how good is that guy ride a twin fan
0: crazy but the thing is i've only really seen ryan birch ride ryan birch boards right whereas ryan lovelace i've seen everybody Thompson, else there ride his ryan. boards and i've never really seen ryan lovelace ride ryan lovelace boards okay. so but i do know ryan lovelace personally i okay. don't know birch okay um And I'm super curious about his boards because I've heard every kind of uh, version of riding them. I've heard people say, really difficult to ride. And then once you get it dialed, they're completely unique and awesome. And then I've heard people say that they love them. I've heard people not quite figure it out. Right. Um, And the V, what I like about it is the uh, designs are cutting, or they're, on the fringe right so he's pushing the limits yeah they're
1: not from yesteryear coming back they're they're going out in design and i I can and you have to
0: and you'll make mistakes along the way you know so it's kind of like in the rabbit's foot thing it's so extreme or even the v bowls so extreme that that's not going to work for everybody sure and they might not work at all but then it'll hit a Design evolution that you then kind of come around the corner on and go, "Oh, this is what we were getting to, right but um I will say, I've seen people ride the boards, and I just go, "Wow, it looks like I know that person's a great surfer, and that board looks like they're that it's limiting their right. surfability. Mm-hmm. But then I saw a clip this past week of punker Pat <laughs> you know Pat yeah. Towers? Oh, I don't
1: know him, but yeah, I know who he is. yeah, sure.
0: writing a Lovelace V bowls on a punchy beach break in Newport. And I've seen him ride that same board at Surf Ranch. No and I've seen him ride it in different waves, but this punchy beach break in Newport that he he made it go. It was so rad. It yeah. was like the way the line that he found on it and the floater that he did and all these things. I was like, dude, I've seen Pat since he was a young kid ripping shortboards yeah, doing he's airs. Town, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen him doing airs and stuff. And the way the line he took on that knowing his surf up ability Mm -hmm. and his talent level he's super talented i was like shoot that was radical right like that made me want to order a board because that was a totally unique wave and line right so i'm on board completely with that
1: well the only other person that comes to mind would be the um the album surfboards album Mm -hmm. because i feel like there's a lot of shortboard design in those surfboards i mean josh kerr is ripping on those boards and I mean, he's a ripper and I'm, I'm a big fan of josh kerr's but i feel like they look like shortboards they do and i like that a lot um i know they're they're like what i i search for all the time is meshing a shortboard and a fish but making it still look like a shortboard so i would love to try one of those one day too but i definitely would probably be more interested in taking a Ryan Lovelace board out yeah
0: just because it's more different it's just yeah, different. It's so different yeah. right
1: yeah exactly yeah. Yeah.
0: all right final question last surfboard you
1: rode uh my board I talked about earlier we call it the boss um it's a model I made for myself and i turned tons of people onto it um 510 19 and a half two and a half thruster single concave pretty deep single concave under your front foot and a little tiny wash of V out the back of the tail Mm. goes fast holds good in most size surf I'm pretty confident in overhead surfing it um and it's thick enough to to go in chest size surf so
0: Mike Rowe host of dirty
1: jobs (laughs) (laughs) thank you you're welcome thank you oh
0: Pour me another drink And punch me in the face You can call me Nancy Every man wears a symbol And I know I have mine I've got my right hand stamped in the concentration camp where my organ screams slow down man huge thank you to mike Rowe for your hospitality on the outer banks it has become my favorite destination on the east coast partially due to just the natural beauty of the place but largely due to your hospitality. So thanks for opening your home to me. I've always had a blast. Cannot wait to catch waves at some point. And you can be entered to win a custom board from Mike by making a donation to this podcast like you heard me say at the beginning. But honestly, just reach out to him. Order a board from him anyway. He makes killer, killer surfboards. And uh, and you'll just be glad to have connected with him. So I have a link to all of Mike's information on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then I will be... ...referencing his Instagram for the next couple of weeks... ...so you can definitely follow him there and just connect through text message... ...hardworking, salt of the earth, genuinely kind, rad dude... The ...kind of the epitome of U.S. board building... ...so glad to connect and uh, share Mike's story. And one thing we didn't really quite get into in this conversation... ...is that he does really incredible um, repurposed resin art... ...basically from the drip tray that comes out of his glassing room cuts it into designs polishes it i mean it's i can't actually do it justice just by talking about it you kind of need to see it so follow his instagram to see more of that stuff too super cool and a great way just to repurpose what would otherwise be waste so check that out thank you for listening i'll be back next week Don't forget, we only actually have 15 days left for you to benefit from that SPY giveaway, $500 gift certificate to be used on spyoptic.com, simply by using our promo code PODCAST. That ends on December 20th. We wanted to kind of leave a little bit of a delta before Christmas for you to actually use the gift certificate for Christmas shopping. So win it on the 20th and then uh, buy bye buy everybody sunglasses for Christmas. That's the idea there. Thank you, spyoptic.com, promo code podcast. And I believe that is all. I will be back next week with an all-new episode. I'll also be home from my month-long East Coast sojourn, and I'll be reconnecting with Scott Bass for spit, and then, of course, Chess Smith for the grit. We will have a special guest for that episode. I'll wait to reveal it in case travel plans go awry for anybody involved myself included. And that is all I've got for today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike Rowe. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor, reminding you to get back into the ocean, share a couple of waves, and shred on.